Welcome to the MFA Made for Agriculture podcast. Here are your hosts, Adam Jones and Cameron Horine. All right, folks. Well, welcome to another episode of the Made for Agriculture podcast. My name is Adam Jones. And I'm Cameron Horine. All right. And we are live on location today, Cameron. Um, we're actually at our summer buyer's market, our MFA summer buyer's market, and kind of kickoff event for our, our next fiscal year uh, during the summer here in Columbia. So if you all hear some background noise or anything like that, uh, we've done our best to mitigate for those things. But uh, but stuff comes up in the background when you're at an event with a few hundred folks. Right. And <laughs> but I think it's a great time of the year, especially because um, we just had our MFA training camp on Monday. And uh, I know Cameron's probably going to go into that quite a bit during the podcast here. But I think it's a, it's a good timeline for everybody to have uh, trials uh, of agronomy products kind of fresh on their mind. And what I really want to cover today we're going to try to go into kind of how the MFA process of, of, of how we test and enact products into our marketplace. And so we've got Cameron today and he's going to give us a lot of insight, but we also have another guest, Jason Worthington, and he's our director of account management at, at MFA. And Jason, you want to just give us a quick background? Yeah. Uh, thanks, Adam. Thanks, Cameron. Thanks for having me on. Uh, as Adam said, I'm director of account management with MFA. I lead up our sales team's efforts. You know, I work with our district sales managers to make sure they're working with our CAMs and other folks that are out on the front line selling, making sure we find those solutions that make our producers more profitable. Right. Well, I think- right. And I would say, just to tag along, one of the reasons why we brought Jason in is because before he moved over to director of account management, he was in charge of managing our large scale field trials. And so he has a lot of background in the field trial aspect and what we've done in years past. So just having his input on that as well is going to be nice. I appreciate that, Cameron. And Cameron's taken over those and is doing a great job with those. Those have been traditionally uh, administered by our crop track team, which, of course, now Doug and, and Cameron and the agronomy team still manage that. But I was very active in that beforehand, uh, something I'm very proud of and something that's still very near and dear to my heart. Cool. Appreciate that. So let's kind of zoom out. And, and before we start this, I, I struggled a little bit with kind of how we're going to tackle this, but I want to give folks kind of the, the real picture of, of how we look at products. And we know kind of, especially it seems like over the last few years, it, it, there's just a never, a never ending supply of new products, new technologies, uh, you know, new herbicide formulations, new seed products, new, you know, seed treatments, you name it, just anything. Right. It seems like we're just constantly bombarded with with those products. So kind of take us on a quick journey from start to finish on, if if one of you guys would, on kind of how we decide what we want to test and what we don't, and then kind of how that process goes. And then we can kind of dive into, I think, those specific parts along the way. Why don't you take the lead, King? Okay. I would say just first, first of all, we'll just clear up that we don't do herbicide trials here with MFA. Um, there's That's a whole range and gamut of trials that could be done but we feel very confident in what the university systems um, around are doing with those and so um, that's not something that we have ever dove into sure Um, we feel comfortable enough so um, herbicide trials now we have done in the past some like squirt and look type right we we have done we have done some you know correct some squirt and look just kind of get a feel for it but it's not we're not doing extensive work on herbicide yeah. trials so okay. not so much on the efficacy but i know dr weir and cameron right. before and what doug's continued like we've done some of those herbicide right. injury trials goof trials just more correct. of a visual look and see what what potential but as far as the efficacy that's probably not something absolutely yeah so but then i would say you know when, when we're trying to decide product and what we want to test and stuff. I mean, like you said, you got a whole gamut of things from seed treatments, fungicides, foliars. I mean, now you're in the biological space where a lot of things are coming in, you know? So I would say that, you know, every year, you know, starting about this time frame, um, and then it's going to go through pretty much all winter. We have a lot of companies that come to us. They're trying to vet their products and, you know, we will meet with them and we'll discuss and we'll, we'll, we, we do our best to try to get an idea of what they've got to bring for us and kind of see, but it's really kind of, you have to kind of weed through that. So Cameron, when these companies bring a product forward and want you to test it for them, do a lot, you know, I know you mentioned that sometimes they have some data. 
is that across the board or, or kind of when they're bringing something to you, they, they don't know a lot about it or they've tested it in only unique environments or kind of what's that look like? So I would say that it, it depends on the company too. You know, we, we got a lot of in the biological space when you're looking at that, there's a lot of startup companies, um, you know, they're, they're trying to find anybody who's willing to do some testing for them. And so they may not have that much data or they may have very limited data or maybe it's just greenhouse and they're looking for on, you know, field scale data so they can start looking at some things. Um, you know, when we're thinking about some of our big, large six companies, the, the Bears, the BASFs, them, they more usually have done some testing internally and they already have an idea of what they got and then they just, they just want us to do testing ourselves so we can have a look at it and we can feel more comfortable. And, you know, I would say that what we've done um, the last few years, what we've really done a push on and what Jason Weirick, when he was in the role of director of agronomy, done is, especially with those big six companies, is trying to put a push of, as MFA, we want to have a first look on some of these products. And so instead of them coming to us and saying, hey, we got a new product, we've been testing this now for eight years, we want you guys to look at it. Now we're trying to get it to where, hey, we've got a product, we've only tested it for maybe two or three years, it's still probably two or three years before it comes out of the marketplace, but we want you guys to go ahead and have a feel and test for it so we can start, so we can get comfortable so when it's brought out, um, we've already got a good insight on ourselves. Yeah, I think what Cameron said from my experience when I was more involved in that role was is, is right on, especially the part so it depends on who the the company or individual coming to us with something new was and what their track record is, right? Correct. Um, there's a lot of startups in the ag space now. Yep. Some of those, it it's it's a lot easier to be more skeptical about them. But even those, you know, those bigger companies that have that track record, what Cameron said earlier about making sure what it does in Missouri or Eastern Kansas or Northeast Arkansas, and um, not just our environments, but our common practices. How right. does it fit in to the whole environment that we're in? For sure. And so it sounded like you needed a couple of years time to really get a good look at something. So what's your process during those those years that, that you're taking a look at it? Yeah, so, I mean, really, we don't like, it's hard for us to push out a product um, with one year's data, unless, you know, it's just something that there's already some back information already on and we can feel pretty good about the product you know maybe it's something similar that we've been selling before and it's just an added you know something added to sometimes we can push things through a little quicker but yes two two to three years is usually about where we like to see some products so we can feel more comfortable about it but really it's you know setting up a field trial trying to make sure are we giving it a fair shake against whatever products we're tested it against and then going through that process of setting up setting up the zones setting up planting or you know if it's a fertilizer product making sure it's spread at the right time or hitting the right timings for spray applications or anything like that and then analyzing the yield data and so that's a big crucial point of it it's getting in the yield data correctly make sure you have a calibrated combine um, but then able to analyze that data fairly so when when you say something about like setting up the trial um is this is this setting up like a field scale trials is it a strip trial is it a kind of a small plot situation what um kind of what do you do and and what what's your thought process there kind of the why of that so my my opinion on this if you don't mind cameron is is it really depends on what the product is okay and whenever possible i'll say whenever possible I believe you're better off sending it to a replicated trial, like you might see a training camp or Area 51 or those areas. And the reason I say it, those side-by-side or field trials, I'll tell you they don't work, all right? They, they just don't work. Now, I say that, I, I'll sound like the, the, the guy that they always brought into your school to speak to you and say, don't do drugs. They usually brought a recovering junkie in there, right? Say, don't do drugs, kids, <laughs> yep. right? Yep. I'm not going to come in here and say, don't do plots, kids, you know? Uh, but really, from the sales team, those side-by-sides, there's a r- lot of reasons they don't work unless the design is really, really good on them. Okay. Is, uh, there's a lot of things that can, can throw those off. Right. Would you agree with that? Cameron? Yeah, I totally agree with what you're saying, Jason. Is it's, if we can have it a small plot research site, that that is ideal because it's a lot easier to control variables. 
Um, it's a lot easier to get multiple replications. So when we're thinking about statistically analysis on it, we can feel more confident in it because we can control those variables. On a large scale strip trial, I mean, we may discuss about kind of setting those up, but you think about it, you know, a field can change over the years. Um, somebody may have a 40 acre field at this point in time, but maybe it was 20 acres at one point and half of it was a pasture. Well, if you didn't know that, you may have split the field right. 20, 20, and yeah. how is that a fair comparison? So what I'm hearing is that once you go to those field scale trials, we're putting that out on a one of our growers' fields. And yep. you know, we don't know the field history. We don't know a lot of those other variables there. Whereas in your, it sounds like in your training sites, you control right. all of That's that. That's correct. Well, yeah. I'll say even on the large scale ones that Cameron's conducting through the crop track team, yep. that's part of the protocol that we had done in years past. And I know Cameron's doing an excellent job of continuing that is we're using things like aerial imagery, uh, soil, soil data, um, past year's yield data to look at whether we're, we're splitting a field apples to apples and, and comparing those areas. And we'll exclude areas that aren't poor. Correct. Uh, um, th this was kind of, uh, a lot. Cameron had heard my frustration several times in the office yeah. <laughs> uh, before when we'd see that a field we'd get the as applied data, say on a fertilizer trial, for example. And um, the applicator went out there with the best intent and spread the field the most logical way it would to get over the acres in the quickest amount of time. Mm -hmm. So he ran it until that product was out, but that was the first 40 acres of the field. Well, after that, all of a sudden you dropped off into a bottom. Right. And then the control was in that bottom testing it up against a hillside. Yeah. Or, so often, the most natural place for them to split a field was where that old fence row used to be. Yep. And all of a sudden, you have useless data. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but there are some advantages to doing that because plot design, if there's anything about doing any type of testing to make it worth all the time you put into it, it's plot design ahead of time, whether it's those large trials or others. Because fungicides is one of them where a lot of times that field scale. Correct. Can be more valuable because if you look at a treated area and then you have an untreated area but then you have treated again on the next side of it like in some of those blocks out there that's sometimes what does that do that provides a buffer around that area protecting it from inoculum right in the rest of the field yeah. so it yeah that makes sense and just you know just with, i guess with the scale of some of the, right. the plots is kind of what you're getting at so do you want to define for folks who may not be familiar like what's the size of one plot in your in what we, your small plot stuff. what we call a small plot? Yeah. yeah. So all of our small plot stuff that we have at our um, Boonville site that we call training camp and our one east of Columbia that we call Area Fifty One, just to make sure that's cleared up because I'm sure we'll reference those. Is those are all ten foot by twenty five foot long. So they're four row plots, um, twenty five foot in length. Um, and when we when we harvest, we harvest the middle two. So that allows us to have some buffer. Um, as well between treatments and so right. um, we can go in that to, into that as well because I mean just quickly on that you think about our um, our variety trials um, you may have a variety that's planted right next to each other but one comes out of the ground a lot faster or maybe it ends up growing taller um, you may have a shading effect from that aspect or so and so by giving it that extra buffer row on the outside you kind of diminish a little bit of that variability by only harvesting the middle two rows. And for a variety, that that scale kind of makes sense. But, you know, back to what Jason was saying <laughs> yeah. there, that, that does, you know, also makes sense that that's a fairly micro environment when yeah, you're talking correct. about 10 by 25 but, space. But it's so critical. But could you th what, what do you think the most common thing tested on farm by a producer or a salesperson is? Probably seed variety. Seed varieties. And what's the most common way that most folks do that? Split a planter. They split a planter. That's one of the absolute worst ways to test something because our, usually a guy's got, what, 12, 16-row planter, right. right? And then he's going to have six, eight-row heads, you know, mm -hmm. bigger uh, for corn, for example, or on beans, 30, you know, 30-foot head. Right. How are you going to compensate for that edge effect on you. that? It's just not going to happen. Right. Yeah. And you got you got a competition the entire length of where those two varieties are, are there unless they mature at the exact same rate, which right. 
even hybrids with the same maturity, they're all going to flower at different times. They got longer grain fills, uh, quicker out of the ground. Anything that gives a quicker start is going to have an unfair advantage. For and, sure. you, and you may be feeding yourself bad information by doing these trials. Yeah, but. that makes a lot of sense. You use another word that I think gets thrown around a lot in some of this that we probably ought to just define, make sure everybody's on the same page. Uh, you said something about replications. Yeah. And so can you kind of define that in, in context of the plots? for Yes. Yeah. So... So replications is, is basically taken, so say we have in our variety trials, I'll use the variety trials as an example. So this year um, in our short season corn variety trials, we have 18 varieties. And so on the front, on the front, what we call replication, all 18 varieties are planted in a 10 foot by 25 foot um, plot. So there's a 10 foot by 20 foot plot of every single variety. And then we have another what we call replication of it. And so we plant five replications. So we plant every single one of those treatments five different times scattered throughout that block okay. so that we're, um, number one, reducing ver reducing the variability within that scale of that block, but also giving us multiple data points within it so that we can statistically um, come together to have a better yield average. Okay. And so, I mean, the reason why we try... The reason why it's also randomized is because we know kind of even in large scale field, um, there's a lot of variability within a field. I mean, from just all different aspects, whether that's soil type, whether that's um, fertility. I mean, just, yeah. just the way it's been managed. So by having it randomized throughout your block, you're reducing that variability uh, from each data point um, to have a better consensus, consensus of data. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And it I guess it's maybe this depends on the product or, or kind of what you're testing. Do you, do you do a lot of evaluation on anything other than yield or kind of what do you look at, what do you look at there? Just grain yield is mostly what we're looking for. No, I mean, when we're thinking about, you know, fungicides, um, seed treatments, you know, kind of those two products you're doing seed treatments, you're going out and you're looking at early, early season vigor. How qu quickly is that seed treatment helping it come out of the ground? Um, is it helping, you know, seed emergence, you know, is it doing a good job with, um, diseases, especially if you get an early season planted seed treatment, um, how well is it coming out of the ground from there? You're taking visual ratings from that, um, fungicides, you're doing the same thing later in the year. You're evaluating, um, the best thing to do is evaluate what is the disease pressure of the day of application. So then you have a basis from what you're determining right. and then doing a, um, look at it and doing an evaluation 14 days after application, 28 days after application, and sometimes like 56 days or, you know, later in the year and seeing what is the efficacy of those products? How long are they holding on? And, you know, is, is it going to provide what we need throughout the whole growing season? I got you. And obviously we hope that a lot of those, you know, if it's a positive indication or something, you hope that that transitions into grain yield, but sometimes, Correct. you know, sometimes looks can be deceiving in, in those scenarios. So I think um, you get a lot of data, obviously, at the end of the year. I assume you got a yield monitor on a, on your plot combine. Yep. You said you just taken the center two rows in, in, this, in a small plot scenario. Could And then um, through all those replications, kind of walk us through, um, and I don't need a stats course here, Cameron, but walk us through the kind of the evaluation of that data and how you come out with um, is a variety better than another variety or is that, you know, is the efficacy of a product, you know, worth, worth the application? Yeah. So um, all the data on the small plot side, all the data, like we said, it's going through a specialized combine that has a specialized yield monitor and waste system to allow us to be able to just harvest those um, two middle rows. And then all of that data, yeah, and on, on that, just to elaborate a little bit more, it's not like your typical yield monitor where it's just an impact plate and constant Correct. flow ratings. There's a, a brief pause, and it weighs the actual amount of grain for each one of those That's plots. Correct. Yeah, okay. yeah, exactly. So I harvest I harvest a plot. I stop at the end of that plot and wait for all the grain to, you know, go through the whole combine into the okay. weigh bucket. And then it weighs it weighs the actual amount of grain that is in that bucket, and it takes moisture and obviously calculates test weight from that. Okay. Um, and so then all of those numbers are inputted into a statistical software that we use um, that then does um, analysis. And that can be, I mean, we can run either ANOVA tables or, um, I mean, there's a lot of different stats that we can run on it. Okay. What about from the, um, let's step back then to, to kind of the strip scale or strip trial or, or field scale trials. 
on data collection on those, I assume those are harvested just with a yep. uh, commercial grade yield monitor. Is there anything specific you're looking for there from either the, that data collection or analyzing that, kind of how you're looking at it? So some of the stuff we've done in the past, Adam, with the crop track team, and do you correct me if, if, if you've added any additional protocols or, or done anything else since then, is we've always looked for that yield monitor first because you can do two things with that. You can get a large enough area, and as long as it's calibrated and you got consistent flow, it's coming from the same machine, you can go in there and overlay that yield data with those soil zones or those areas of prior management that we talked about before, and then you could exclude areas where you're not comparing apples to apples. And maybe even get multiple tests looking at it in a rough part of the field versus a highly productive part of the field. And yep. you can do some more in-depth analysis of it. A lot of the times in the past, what we had done is always put, took a way wagon out there. Right. And when you do that, you're just going to do it on the turn row. Yeah. So if, that, if you were going through more sandy area on one pass versus a higher area where it's nice and loamy, you're going to get different areas. So yield monitor has been our preferred method of yep. that. Yeah, uh, exactly. A calibrated yield monitor is <laughs> the best thing we can have. Okay. And then, yeah. like like we said, we can go into our um, data management software, and we can use that, and we can, just like Jason said, we can look at old aerial imagery, we can look at um, prior yield data, and we can really tease out what we know is what is potentially a wet spot or what potentially is a high-yielding spot. And so maybe we can make then comparisons. We can then split our management zones we've already created and have a low-yield and a high-yield area, and we can have you know yeah. kind of both in the same field or, you know, you know, maybe something happened and we thought we had a really did a really good job of do, putting out a zone in the field. And then, you know, something happened that we didn't ever expect in this field. And maybe we realized, oh, well, now this yield data is no longer good because there was a wet spot that we've never seen before. But for some reason, it showed yeah. up or um, gotcha. it allows us to be, have a better idea of is this data sufficient? Can we keep it or is it completely yeah. So if, the other thing about that that's really important from there is we talked about the statistical analysis on those strip trials and the confidence level that those stati stat the statistics will basically tell Cameron when he runs that we have this level of confidence that right. you will have this much advantage in this environment. Yeah. What you get from those large strip trials is trend lines, yeah. right? You're I have never been able from those I have seen 20, 30, even 40 bushel advantages on certain things in certain areas, but I have never had confidence. I've had confidence to say this product's working, right. but am I going to tell anybody it's doing 40 bushel better? Because it's not going to everywhere. It's just absolutely sure. not. You cannot sure. statistically analyze that stuff from those type of tests. You're just looking for right. yes, no type of answers to questions. I got you. Yeah, and I, I will say that here in the last few years, we have started doing large-scale replicated trials where we are putting replicated strips out there. And so you can do a little bit more statistical analysis on it, but it's still very, it's very yeah. challenging. If you're um, just splitting a field, you can't really do it. But yeah, correct. if you're doing some strips. We do have some replicated strip trials and you can do some um, yield analysis on it, but it's still very challenging. But I will say, I mean, we didn't touch on it, but some of these products fit better in large scale stuff. I mean, sure. fungicides, fertilizer. I mean, when you, some of these fertilizer trials, it's very hard in a small scale trial oh, yeah. to get, cause I mean, the variability across the field is so tight. And when you're trying to do a 10 foot by 25 foot, or, you know, even if you just made it longer and 40, 40 foot or whatever, that variability in that space is very challenging. So it, it, a lot of times it depends on the product on what kind of test is going to be the best. Okay. I guess. Yeah. And so once you've done all this data evaluation, um, what do you hope that folks are doing or, you know, and I know you try to do your best as far as pushing your results out to either folks inside the company. And then I know there's, you know, a spread and a today's farmer usually every, yep. every year. And, and you guys try to make that as publicly available as possible. What do you hope that either growers or folks within the organization are, are doing with that data? I'm just hoping that they're utilizing it to make the best decisions for their for their own practices. I mean, that's that's what my goal is, is to provide information to not only our employees, but also to producers to know what products are out there on the market that are going to be able to help them 
boost their production and their practices on the field, you know, in the in their own farm. Well, I think somebody can look at your data and and have pretty good confidence and not you know not be hesitant about using it on their farm. You know, yeah. it, you're you're talking um, Missouri sites where you're testing everything. Right. I mean, this is um, this is kind of hometown stuff that where it's it's been trialed. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's not a blind it's not a blind spray or a blind application at yeah. that point. So. From, from a sales team perspective, what I hope we're getting, what our CAMs, our managers, everybody who's interacting with those customers out there, um, applicators, everybody else, what I hope they're getting from the research and the hard work that, that Cameron and Doug and all the district agronomists and local agronomists are doing is confidence. Yeah. That's really what it is. Because yeah. to be honest with you, when you're going out there and selling against a guy, somebody else, they're going to have stats and numbers too, sure. right? I will tell you, just from experience, Cameron and team are, are, are doing it the right way. They are getting accurate data. That's feeding uh, Steve and his team on the seed division. I mean, all their information has come from those replicated plots. Yep. They are not using strip trials to do any of that. Mm -hmm. But I hope it gives them confidence. Now, do you take those numbers and start an argument with the grower when you're out in the field? So, well, I said four bushel. Well, he said five bushel. That you get nowhere. Right. This is really to, you know, internal focus. The other thing, you, Adam, you asked us earlier, what are you looking for other than yield in that? I mean, how many replicated sites do you have across the state, Cameron? I mean, with corn and soybeans, I have 26. 26 replicated sites across the state. And our seed specialists, district sales managers, or having meetings throughout the year, having our location folks right. in there to see how a hybrid performs early in the season, see how a soybean variety stands late in the year, mm -hmm. learn those other things about it beyond that yield. Yeah, it, exactly. It's it's given them a chance to have a visual training so they can walk in the field and see. And I mean, that's a great point. Is on when I say those twenty six sites. Um, most of them are just variety replicated trials um, for our more corn, more soil lineup. But we also have our partner brand products in those trials as well. And so what we mentioned replications. I have the first replication as a show trial for all those guys. So our cams, our salesmen, if they want to bring producers out or whatever to those sites that are in their own territory, in their own area, they can and they can walk and they can go in and look early and they can see what's popping up early, what, you know, they could get a feel for exactly what they want out there. And so it can be used as a visual training. For sure. So out of what you're testing this year, and, and I assume that, you know, the variety stuff is all a little too early, obviously, but I'm kind of thinking more on the product side of things or, or kind of just methodology management practice type things that you might be testing. What's something, or can be more than one thing, what's something that you're testing this year or taking a look at that you're really excited about? I mean, one thing that we re we reintroduced into our testing just because there's a, a, a big space in this is nitrogen stabilizers. And so, okay. and especially part of the reason why we've done this, and we know that there's a lot of work and we know that they work, but there's a lot of guys that are coming into it. And also you think about the last few years we've had, we've had really wet springs, yep. um, even some wet falls. And so just being able to show people the impact of how much nitrogen they're potentially losing right. by not having a stabilizer or a proper stabilizer that has the products and the concentration of those products within them to yeah. um, maintain their nitrogen. You can see nitrogen loss um, every day as you just drive down the road. You can see a field that has nitrogen loss this year. Yeah, no, so, I agree. So that's a product that's you know looks really good. Fungicides is... We do, we've do. we done a lot of testing with fungicides and foliars the last few years. I've done a lot of trials year after year doing the same ones because I want to be able to do um, yield on analysis. Because fungicide is one of those things where you test one year, you may not see a difference, but maybe we didn't have a big disease year. So maybe right. the weather wasn't conducive for, the environment wasn't conducive for a disease to come in. So it's really one of those things where you want to have multiple years in. You know, some of these trials where you're seeing southern rust blow in, you can see a huge difference on which fungicides have an impact on those. Also, kind of timing, because I do we have some fungicide timing ones. You know, okay. where is the yeah. timing aspect of fungicides for and that, protection on that? The education on that and the nuance to that stuff is what really interests me. And the fungicide, at this point, we know fungicides work, right? Sure. The, you're you're going to get yield benefit from fungicides. And even 
in the cases where it, it doesn't pay as much as you don't, if you're in it for the long haul, it's it's the right thing to do in terms of yield for the producer. Seven right? out of ten years, it's going to pay. Right, and those and those seven years are typically going to far outweigh any risk that you expose yourself Absolutely. in those three. Sure, but the nuance. Can we move that seven to eight or nine exactly. by doing it at the right time, or 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 changing or putting something else with or it? Having like the right, exactly having the right products added into it to um, increase your efficacy. I got you. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I love I like your weather variability analysis and the nitrogen stuff too. And it makes a lot of sense to just can you know may not be a brand new product, but the weather is brand new every year, right? Yeah. And you know it makes me think of sulfur products, those kind of things too. It's like you can look at data from the 80s, but at this point, that's it literally doesn't matter. You know? Right, because, um, I mean, you just think about the yeah. environment we have now. We have yeah, less yeah. sulfur in our atmosphere. Sure. Um, you know. Yeah, and on the nitrogen side, I mean, our in, insane rain events and that we get and those kind of things. So yeah. it's, it's important to stack that stuff up against what the crop's going to see when we actually right. put it out there because, I mean, I can – I think, you know, 2022, I can bet we have some big spring rains. Yeah, I mean, right. it's just like that. Another, it's going to happen. So our right. products need to perform at that level. Yeah. So that's cool. So anything coming up uh, that you're planning for the next year or the year after that you kind of got in the books that you want to get out there in the field in the next couple of years that, that you're excited about getting getting your eyes on or getting some trials out there? Uh, so I will say that um, one trial that I've been working on, and it's just a logistical thing um, more than anything, but our goal is to have a planting date study on soybeans. And so we there's been a big push um, here in the last few years of a lot of guys trying to get soybeans out earlier. Um, mm -hmm. I know that there's a lot of regions where soybeans are being planted possibly before corn even. Yep. Or they're running, they're, if somebody's got two planters, they're running a bean planter and a corn planter at the same time getting into the ground earlier. So that is, that's a goal that I have. Um, logistically, sometimes that can be challenging, especially wet springs. Yep. Um, so that's something to hopefully look forward to on that. And then same thing with seed treatments is, is I hope to have, you know, maybe one or two planting dates of those so we can really see yeah. um, early season, you know, the difference between seed treatments early season on soybeans compared to, you know, when you're looking at kind of a later season, that June, July timeframe of planting on those two. I could see there'd be some logistical challenges with even a normal, even a normal time zone planting date study, right. um, you know, it, yeah. much less pushing it as early as well, I know you want to go with soybeans. Or planting date and Hepler versus a planting date and, <laughs> exactly. and, and uh, Hannibal. You yeah, know, I mean, it's all different. It's, so yeah, That's exactly right. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a big area to cover and the weather from five miles away could be different, much less the weather from 250 miles away. So, yeah, yeah. there's a lot of logistics involved in, in those. So, And biologicals is something else, Cameron, that you're looking at. And that, that's... That's that's probably a whole podcast in itself yeah, because yeah. What, yeah. that that's what does each one of them do? But that is a big messy space, and there's a lot of things in yeah. there. The nitrogen for corn and correct. That's those are gonna be really interesting. From being out at training camp earlier this week, I'm really interested to see what those do, especially in a year where we've lost as much nitrogen as we have. Yeah. So you know the space of biologicals and nutrient use efficiency products, some products that are helping us be more efficient with our nutrients um, and possibly helping us reduce synthetic fertilizers. Where does that space play? I mean, that's something we're testing this year and obviously we'll be testing in the future. And it's, it's going to be exciting to see what that brings. Yeah. And well, and what I love about your testing process too, is that a lot of guys when they're testing some of those products are still putting the full nitrogen rate on in the field when right. they're doing it at field scale. Well, you know, you have a great yield, maybe it was just a great year, right? Like, and, and I think what, what you're doing with putting those products out there and really actually doing the nitrogen reduction that the product says it can do and seeing how it stacks up, that's where the kind of the rubber yeah. meets the road in, in those scenarios. And that, that's the fun stuff to take a look at. Right. So, yep. So uh, sharing your data, and I know I, I spilled a little bit on, on this question, but tell me what you go through as far as um, internally and, and externally, once you start compiling stuff in the fall, kind of how you push that to maybe seed division where they're looking at variety um, stuff or, or some of that other data as well. Kind of how do you get that to employees and then how do you typically 
or what do you typically do as far as pushing that out to where it's publicly available to, to growers? Yeah. So on this on the seed side, um, we're doing those trials for the seed division so they can make decisions on what varieties they want to move forward with or what they may want to move away from. And so on the seed side, all of that all that gets sent to um, the seed division. So okay. um, the product managers over there and they, they make the decisions they want to on that yield data. And so that, that's something that they share, um, how they see, see fit. For all of the other trials where it comes to, you know, CP products, plant food products, any agronomic trials that we're testing out, um, we always analyze that data. Um, we put it together. We produce an article into today's farmer every year that has all that information. Um, that usually comes out in the March timeframe. Um, okay. We've, it's, it's difficult to, we've talked about trying to get it pushed sooner, but it's difficult sometimes to get that sooner by the time you get harvest and analysis of it and just logistics of that. Um, that is a goal. But the other way we push out product is, is um, we have internal trainings that we do um, for our guys that we share the um, data as well. Um, something that we're looking forward to this year um, that I'm hoping to implement is I don't want to call it a sales sheet because I'm not a salesman, but I'm going to, so more of an information sheet is kind of what my goal is this year is to have a trial by trial information sheet where it kind of has a summarized of what the trial was, what we saw, and then yield analysis on it. So our salesmen or our employees have an ability to, um, whenever they want to know about a product or something that we've seen, they have access to it. Gotcha. Cool. Yeah. No, I, li I like it. And I, and I appreciate your all's desire to, to get those results out there, you know, as timely as possible. We want to make sure they're accurate, obviously, but, um, but that's, I know, you know, wholeheartedly, that's why you guys are working so hard on it is to, is to get the data. And so getting it pushed out to where everybody has a chance to take a look at it is, um, is cool. I know it's a lot of work. So I guess one other trial, just, just throw it out there. One other yeah. thing that I've done, this will be my third year doing that's, has some interesting results and uh, is we've been doing a fungicide by variety trial and so you seeing the differences and how certain varieties interact with fungicides and which ones you know um you know because you look at a seed guidebook or you have somebody says this has a disease rating of this or whatever well what does that really mean yeah um we this will be our third year now of doing a fungicide by variety trial and so we can have an analysis and you can see you know which varieties are responding to fungicides better or um, have fungicides have a bigger impact on those varieties so I guess that's something that's some neat data that we're gonna be able to yeah. share with guys um, to help them yeah that is some really cool data and it's like years where we have like southern rust the, the, those later maturing hybrids more vulnerable because there's yep. more inoculum built up it, it's really good to to take into account when you look at that data what diseases were there too because that it doesn't just it's not just the variety sometimes it's, it's the disease and how it interacts with each other yep that's why just knowing all the 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 plot design the environment all that th those things along the way not just what the yield said at the end can be so so powerful in teaching you something absolutely yeah cool so what did we miss guys um before we well, jump know, on here you know adam one other thing i want to say yeah uh, i think i'd i'd be missing an opportunity if i didn't mention it is i know when i was in a, a sales role a direct sales role out in the field you know calling on customers like i said i was guilty as anybody i'm, I'm the guy saying don't do plots as a seller when i, I did 30 or 40 side besides a year <laughs> now yeah i don't in hindsight was it the fact that I did all those plots that helped me in sales with some of those guys, or was it the fact I was interacting with the grower and looking at things in the field with them, sure. doing all those, taking all those steps? I would say it's the latter, right? Because I lost plots, gained business. I won plots, and I just made the guy mad that the, what he loved wasn't working, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it can be a real catch-22 and the whole reason we talk about plot design, that when you're in a sales role and you're doing trials, you have a bias. You want your product to win. And whether it's that guy who intentionally leans on a way wagon, mm -hmm. or if it's a guy who unintentionally is, is looking, it's almost subconscious looking for something, you want something to win. And growers are the same way. 
I think it's a really dangerous thing to put too much of that research and product advancement in the hands of a sales team. This is coming from a sales guy, yeah. right? That's why I value what the agronomy team's doing so much. Um, we get a lot of pressure from, from our vendors to have sales folks out on the farm doing these trials. I think how Cameron has it set up to work through agronomists gives us so much value and allows our sellers to have time doing some of these other things. And uh, I know there's things like outcome-based pricing and things that are coming. There's going to be a lot of problems with some of these issues. I'm not saying they're going to figure them out because of the bias that will come from poor plot design, um, data collection. There's a lot of things, and it's going to be really challenging to get the type of information that it takes that you're getting, Cameron, because I don't know. How much time do you spend analyzing not just your collection of trials for one experiment design or one protocol, but just one individual result? Because, like, some of those field-level trials, you're sending out, what, 20, 30 tests at a time? Right. How much time does it take to just analyze one of those 20 tests? (sighs) Quite a while. I mean, hours at times, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, yeah, it's not just... It's not just sit down at the computer and hope you're done in two hours and move on to the next yeah. by any means. I, I think it's really tough for a seller to be able to, with all they have on their plate, to sp- devote the time to make sure those those tests, those plots are giving good information. Sure. Exactly. And so, I mean, just like Jason said, on our small plot stuff, we don't have anything, um, we don't have anything labeled or recognized other than the plot number. So we have the bias out of it. So when we're out there doing yes. stuff, I don't know what treatment is what, um, other than what the plot number says. And so um, that's what we find out at the end of the year is when everything goes through, when we put it back in the system, then we find out what treatment was. Because I'm trying to limit even my own bias because, I mean, everybody has their own bias. Yeah. And they may have a feeling of, well, I'd rather this win or I I don't, you know, I don't want to work with this company or something like that. So hopefully it doesn't do as well. But right. um, Yeah. Well, we appreciate all you do to support sales, Cameron. I'll say that. You bet. Yeah. No, for sure. And just from a grower side of things, my goodness. I mean, that's um, that's what folks are looking for, just an unbiased opinion of, hey, does this work or does it not work? I mean, like, you guys don't own the company. Like, it, it like you know, we're only going to sell something to right. you if we know it works. And um, just having that, again, like you said, confidence in, in what, we're, what we're taking to folks. It's, it's a big yep. deal. So, cool. All right. So we're trying out a new uh, segment here uh, on the on the podcast, and I, I thought this would be kind of fun to do with with all the guests because we tend to have one guest, and then we've got Cameron. Cameron's our staff agronomist, and uh, so I think what we're going to do is uh, we're going to play a little trivia game, okay. and um, we've uh, there's a thing in, in agronomy called the um, if you're a certified crop advisor, and there's an exam that goes along with that. So inside that exam are a whole bunch of agronomy questions that I thought maybe, you know, folks might be able to learn something from while they were on the podcast and stuff that Cameron probably wakes up in the middle of the night every night and just writes down notes to all this stuff because he just knows it all. <laughs> this will be really embarrassing. If I <laughs> and so uh, we're, we're going to pit, we're going to pit our guest every week or every, uh, every podcast against, against Cameron, a uh, little, little game of quiz here. So I've got five questions plus a tiebreaker in case they get them all right. And if, uh, if our guest can beat Cameron, then we will uh, make a donation in the name of our guest um, to our uh, MFA-sponsored charity for the year, which I think this year is Ronald McDonald House. That's great. So, uh, worthy cause. Um, worthy cause for, for Jason to give it his all to, to beat Cameron at our so, trivia game. So, here. I, I want to know how I got picked to be the inaugural one. But don't, don't, you, <laughs> don't you want... I mean, don't you want like a preseason game with like a Kevin Moore or somebody who doesn't know as much? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm I mean, not sure why we picked a former um, CCA of the year to go against me, but you know, yeah, but, well, yeah. I'm not even worried. Kevin's one of those too, but he won. He, That's true, I guess. Yeah, he. I, I mean, I mean, I, I guess I would say I picked you because you're now a salesman and no longer an agronomist, so I figured you <laughs> oh, all your low blow, low blow, low blow. <laughs> all right, we've even got the trash talking going on. This, this makes it even better. <laughs> all right, so both these guys have a piece of paper in front of them and a pen, and I'm going to read the question, and there's a couple of them that are uh, multiple choice. my paper. And uh, we'll keep score as we go along and, and see who wins at the end here. So question one is uh, potassium deficiency shows up first in either the lower leaves, 
the upper leaves, the leaf veins, or the reproductive plant parts. So potassium deficiency is going to show up first where? And once they've both written down their answer, there's no cheating. We're going to have to try to move everybody further apart from now on for these recordings. Okay, let's see what you, what do you, what do you think, Cameron? Uh, potassium shows up in the lower leaves. That is the correct answer. Is that what you got, Jason? I have lower leaves. Yes. And it also works from the outside in instead of the inside out like nitrogen does on the yellowing. Okay. So cool. I get more detail. I get that point. <laughs> <laughs> Technically one-to-one. -one. But I think oh, guys, you on. guys proved the point that uh, folks are going to learn something uh, from even just going through these questions. So, yeah, you're exactly right. Potassium deficiency shows up first in the lower leaves. All right. Question two. The factor that which most improves the ability of a row crop to compete with weeds is A, broadcast fertilizer, B, monoculture cropping, C, early harvest, or D, narrow row spacing. So the factor which most improves the ability of a row crop to compete with weeds. Are we all confident in our answers? I'm getting a head shake, side to side head ah. shake. <laughs> and this is this is an interesting question, just because uh, in all these tests and standardization things, you know, there's always um, some, like we said, there's bias in everything. And so just looking at, at answers, uh, there, it's a little bit um, kind of up to the observer here. But I do agree when once we kind of dive into what the actual correct answer is. So. You guys want to take a stab at this? You want me to give the answer in the monocultural we'll farming? Mo uh, I have narrow row spacing. The staff agronomist is correct on this one. The answer is D, <laughs> narrow row spacing. Best weed control from a healthy crop canopy. All right, cameras up two to one. All right, atrazine is more likely to cause crop damage in succeeding crops if the pH is A, five point two. B, 6.3, C, 6.7, or D, 7.4. Atrazine is more likely to cause crop damage in succeeding crops if the pH is on that scale. All right, gentlemen. What do we got? I have um, the 7.2. It's 7.4. but Or 7.4. Yes, I'll, I'll give you that. What do you have, Jason? 7.4. 7.4. Anybody want to go into basically atrazine will carry over more and cause crop damage under a high pH versus high a low pH. pH. Correct. Okay, cool. All right, Cameron's up three to two. We got two questions left. I think you'll get this one. Uh, plants that overwinter as a basal rosette with a thick storage root the first year and then set seed in the summer of the second year and die off in that fall are called... A, perennials. Don't even give them the choices. That's too easy. You got it? I got it. Okay. They're biennials. Biennials. They are biennials. Yes. <laughs> so the choices were perennials, annuals, biennials, or rhizomes. Um, yeah, annual dies every year. Rhizomes was a choice. Rhizomes was a choice. <laughs> I guess they, no, they haven't statistically analyzed it. Yeah. They got rid of all those junk <laughs> Annuals die every year. Perennials um, live year after year. And biennials need two years, just two years for their life cycle. So I knew they would both get that question. So, okay. On to question five. Cameron's still up. Four, Four to three. three. Four to three now. Okay. Question five. And I'm not going to give you the choice choices on this one either. So blank contained in runoff is the primary is primarily responsible for hypoxia. Blank contained in runoff is primar is primarily responsible for hypoxia. Phosphorus. That's not correct. Phosphorus would be for eutrophication. Oh, yeah. Yep. So, Jason? It's nitrogen. Dump. Nitrogen. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Cameron, um... I know why you now. said phosphorus. Phosphorus yes. usually right. is the, yes. the, the most... The more yeah. detrimental to watershed if you yeah. compare it to nitrogen. Correct. Yep. But it was that it one is, word. It was that one yeah. word that got you. Yes. Hypoxia That's is correct. nitrogen. All right. Yep. So, Cameron, you have to win every inning. Um, 
And I didn't. You did not. You're right. And so we've got to go to the tiebreaker question. Okay. So now, one of us won every inning. <laughs> <laughs> so now the tiebreaker. The, the 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 tiebreaker question is, according to Corn State's genetics, how many accumulated growing degree units to corn tasseling? Ask how, that question. Again. How many GDUs for corn to tassel? Which hybrid? Yeah, which hybrid? Average across corn stakes genetics. How many GDUs? Yes, I understand that this is... Is it like whoever gets closest wins? Whoever gets the closest wins. I could not give you a multiple choice to, question. To tassel or to maturity? To VT, to tassel. Well, that's the idea. I didn't want you to get close. You got to get the closest to the number that they provided. And that's how we figure, figure out who wins. the memory that you can easily look up. <laughs> I understand. Come on. Hey, I had to have not a tie, uh, not a multiple choice question to to make it a tiebreaker. Okay. Okay. Who wants to go first? Cameron. Cameron, what do you got? Eighty six. Eighty six GDUs. Yeah, he said it. Don't give him another okay. shot. All right. All right. I'm taking yes. <laughs> I'm gonna go prices right rules is eighty seven, but actually I'll take a real guess. <laughs> And I'll say 800. 800 is not too far off. Um, 1135 was the average that they stated. Yeah, uh, I was. So I was, I was average, thinking days, not GDUs. Average yes, GDUs, GDUs to uh, to VT stage. 86. Corn. Oh, yeah. oh man. Worthington with the comeback win. In yeah, the I, I, the staff I overthought that weed question. I way overthought. It. <laughs> I was like, that's narrow rows. That's yeah, narrow rows helps with weed control. But either way, that's all right. You I'll can do happy. a lot of things because you're planning. I will be yeah. happy to help out the Ronald McDonald House. Yes, yes. yes. So, so we and you're not it. helping the Ronald. McDonald. Whose name's going to be on that check? Cameron? That's right, Jason Worthington. Let me rephrase that. I will be helping. happy to say that Jason Worthington is helping out the Ronald. <laughs> he McDonald is. House. He is. Well, I hope, I hope you guys had fun with that little competitiveness there and uh and also like i said i think just going through some of those questions again um hopefully somebody picks up from something that when, you, that when kevin moore through. gets to do a second podcast you will smoke it <laughs> yeah, if you get Good. kevin moore's brother on here I'm maybe a different yeah, story maybe a different story <laughs> yeah all right folks well thanks for listening this this episode and, and we hope you got something from kind of talking through some of the agronomy tech trials um and also our our little trivia game at the end we'll talk to you next time yeah thank you Thanks for listening to Made for Agriculture. Email comments and questions to podcast at mfa-inc.com.